You know, I think the Israelites had some pretty good reasons to complain about their lot in life. All they've been eating for years is this flaky stuff that falls from heaven each night. This manna, which is the Hebrew word for, what is this? (laughs) Occasionally, they'd also get some quail meat falling from the sky. Water was scarce. This was a desert, after all. And they'd been roaming around for so long with no end in sight. So by the time of today's first reading, the Israelites have had it. They are openly grumbling for the fifth and final time in their wilderness journey, complaining to Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Not only is there no food, but it tastes terrible. Clearly, all is not well. So much so that in this fifth bout of complaining, they actually speak against God and not just Moses. So, of course, God gets kind of mad and sends poisonous snakes through the camp who bite their heels and kill them in droves. Pretty quickly, they realize they should not have messed with God. And maybe that food isn't so miserable after all. So they beg Moses to intercede and stop the snake infestation. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord, they cry. Then God has Moses do this strange thing. Make a fiery bronze serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. And it works. Not that the people who were already dead from the snake bites came back to life. Not that God called off the serpents altogether. But that those who were bitten from here on out now had a chance to survive. So I don't know about you, but this all sounds a little too close to magic for me. For being in the Bible. That snake on a stick is imbued with apotropaic qualities, a Greek word that means to ward off, as in to ward off evil, apotropaic. I invite you to be duly impressed by my knowledge right now. (laughs) So it's a sort of lucky charm, like a rabbit's foot. Kind of superstitious, I don't know. But here's the thing. The bronze serpent only works if the Israelites look on the image and believe that God will heal them. So, in a way, it's really a visual representation of their faith, however strange or pagan it might seem. Incidentally, the Israelites apparently saved and venerated this bronze serpent because it comes up again 500 years later in the second book of Kings, chapter 18, where it says, King Hezekiah broke in pieces the bronze serpent Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had burned incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Man, those Israelites... Craft any image and put it in front of them and they'll worship it for centuries. Nothing like us, of course. (laughs) Serpents have long been associated 
by some ancient peoples with healing. You may be familiar with the rod of Asclepius. Anyone? Nice. Asclepius was the Greek god of healing. And the rod was a pole with a serpent entwined around it. You've seen it, actually. It's used by the medical profession in many places, not the least of which is the World Health Organization, whose logo contains the rod of Asclepius. I don't know if you can see that, but there's a rod and a snake twined around it. It's superimposed on a globe and surrounded by olive branches. That's the World Health Organization logo, Rod of Asclepius. Now, this is not to be confused with the Caduceus of Hermes, <laughs> which I know none of you would do. You would not confuse these two. Hermes, or Mercury in Roman mythology, was the messenger of the gods, and he carried a staff with two serpents entwined around a pole with wings on top. So there's the pole there, the two serpents and the wings. It says medical core on it. You can come up and look at this later for your edification. Um, Rod of Asclepius, one serpent. Caduceus of Hermes, two serpents and wings. Okay. So the Army Medical Corps uses this as its logo, perhaps combining the idea of healing with being messengers or bringers of wellness to places around the world. Messengers like Hermes. So... Still healing, but don't confuse it with the rod of Asclepius. Feel free to trot out these fun facts at your next cocktail party. <laughs> Here's my point. Like those Israelites 3,500 years ago, whatever might have poisoned you in your life, whatever venom you may carry in your heart, you cannot heal until you face the very thing that is poisoning you. Your serpent may have the shape of an abusive childhood, of an unhealed grudge with a family member. Your serpent may look like loneliness that brings depression or bitterness, or unhealthy habits like overeating. Your serpent may be an addiction to alcohol or to the computer, it may be the loss of a loved one you can't get over. Or your serpent may be selfishness that keeps you from caring about the needs of others. Most every one of us has something that we're carrying. You must look your own serpent in the face. Ask God to help you and believe that you will be healed. I'm reminded of 12-step groups whose first step is admitting that the serpent has taken over their life. Because I can't see into each of your hearts to locate your particular poison, I urge you to seek healing through prayer and focus, self-forgiveness, and hope. Do any of you know how anti-venom is made? Anti-venom. It's a complicated process but a crucial component is the venom itself. Paradoxically, the poison becomes part of the cure. It's kind of like vaccines in that way, made from the very virus you are inoculating against. For the Israelites, the image of a serpent 
is what saves them from its poison. For us, facing our demons is the first step to casting them out. In today's Gospel reading, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's making the connection with his own death of being lifted up on a cross. And he's saying in so many words, Look upon me and be saved. But again, you cannot simply worship the image. Belief that God, through Christ, will work to manifest healing and salvation in your life is what is required. Jesus was no snake. He was God come down to help us face our sorrows and our shortcomings, to help us through whatever keeps us poisoned or unwell, whatever prevents us from living into the potential God placed in us to be our best self in the world. To a certain extent, I faced my serpent down in Long Beach when I became the interim rector in 2016. My poison was a lack of self-confidence, a low self-esteem whose origins I won't go into just now. But all my life, it had kept me from realizing the gifts God had planted in me. When both the rector and the vestry of that church in Long Beach urged me to step into this new leadership role from my associate rector position, I resisted long and hard. More than once, I was in the rector's office crying and sometimes yelling at him for putting me in this position. Those of you who heard that rector Gary Cummins preach at the installation service a few weeks ago might guess that he's not the kind of guy who would let you yell at him. But he knew that I needed to work this out in my own way. So eventually, with lots of fervent prayer and months of shaking with fear, I got through it. And I came out at the other end of the ordeal stronger than I'd ever been. I shed the skin of my uncertainty. And that process, quite literally, is what made it possible for me to be here with you as your rector. Not that I'm perfect. Just that I wanted to let you know that I, too, have a poison that must be monitored and inoculated against from time to time. God wants you healed. But you must participate. Believe in the possibility of salvation. Look upon Christ and live. I guarantee the food will taste better. Your grumbling will lessen. And together, our journey through this 21st century wilderness desert will be much easier. May God grant you the strength to do these things. Amen.